podcast, the EPW podcast. This is the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, for all things Latino education, politics, culture, and more. We are joined with some very special guests today. So typically we've got the Carnales, Andrew Benitez, and Antonio Vigil, but they're taking a little sabbatical, which is dope because the whole idea is to invite more voices from the Latino community to come join us. And man, we've got some badass voices today. Joining us, uh, like last time, was our main man, our engineer, our sound recorder, the, the, the power behind the pass, if you will. <laughs> Whoa, this place that we're recording it is called the power of the pass, as in like a fossil power of the pass. The power behind the pass with his McCafe, give it up for Richie. Yeah, no, no advertising involved whatsoever there with the with the, with the cafe. But yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, man, me power means the, the power I the shade of power I love most is creation, and that's what we do here at Power at the Pass. And absolutely, you know, it's good to be back. That episode we recorded last time here was super fun. It was, man. It was good times. And we've got not only, like, the dope sounds, but we even, like, got the dope recording. So now you all know uh, how ugly I am and how good-looking Richie and uh, Joey is. Uh, So speaking of which, we've got the Carnal. I've known this man since I was 15. You were 17? 17. Wow, man. It's been a long time. That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think that is the power (laughs) <laughs> if you will, uh, the topic that we're going to discuss today, the National Hispanic Institute, but I want to introduce my man, Dr. Joseph Vieskas. Thank you, Oman. It's great to be here, and it's great to be with Richie, and, and then, uh, of course, our guest online as well. Yeah, man. Thank so you for having me. I'm going to ask you guys just a little bit about how your week was, and we're going to touch on celebration, but we got the Carnal on the phone, I think, driving on the I-35 corridor as we speak from Maxwell, Texas (laughs) to Austin, Texas, the ATX. Julio, Julio Cotto, are you in the house, man? Where are you at? Making the daily journey, the daily daily voyage from Maki's to Austin. From Maki's to Austin. You making the donuts, bro? Is that what's going on? (laughs) They don't make donuts there, man. They make buñuelos. (laughs) <laughs> that's what's up dude dude speaking of buñuelos man it's almost christmas dude what the fuck i want some buñuelos now yeah, i want some coquito ah it's delicious man <laughs> so very proud to have that carnales on the show this week usually i always spit it to my man v about what we're ranting about but i'm going to be the one that talks a little bit about what we're ranting about today so there is a common connection that we have here uh, julio Joseph and I, and that common connection is an organization called the National Hispanic Institute. It's an organization that started way back in 1979. I had the honor of participating in 1994. Joey, you started in? 93. Okay, right on. And that's right, who is the project director at the time here in El Paso. And Julio, when when did you get started with NHI, man? Junior year for me of high school, 1997 in New Mexico with many people from El Paso. Was that at Highlands or was that at UNM? It was at UNM in Albuquerque. All right. For our listeners, University of New Mexico, Highlands University in Las Las Vegas. Vegas. Wait for it. Las Vegas. 
New Mexico. That's what's <laughs> up. Yeah, dude, that's a real place, man. It's beautiful up there, too, man. Julio, you came all the way down from Pennsylvania to New Ass, Nuevo Mexico? You know, I actually, the weekend, a few weekends ago, when we were together at this conference, like sort of pseudo alumni reunion, I remember mm-hmm. that what it was, was that I had, a, I wanted to go to the program because it, one of the, one of the programs was at the University of Chicago, which at that point was one of my top choices, mm-hmm. yeah, dude. but the dates wow, didn't work. The dates didn't work. The only dates that worked were Albuquerque and my parents had some family friends. So I went ahead and just flew all the way out there. Damn. Let me ask awesome. a question I've never asked before. Your wife's from El Paso. Yeah. She is. Did you She's meet her I, at the New Mexico LDZ? I sure did not. No, I met her at uh, I met her in college, Boston University. She's in a uh, proud Isleta Indian class of 98. So right on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right on, man. Richie, when did you graduate high school? Trying to create 
you know, future uh, Wall Street 1980s style uh, Wall Street tycoon capitalist, nor 1960s, 70s style activist that mm-hmm. the future, their future, our future, the one that our kids and we're living in right now was going to demand a different type of leader with a different set of skills, experiences, and a network of like-minded peers, intellects. And so for 40 years, it's been bringing really sharp, smart, college-bound, ambitious kids together. Uh, mostly, not all, but a lot of them Latino mm-hmm. and, or, and now from Latin America, bringing them together to really just develop their intellectual brain power, to their intellectual skills, their and analytical skills. With each other. I would, I would add that yeah, and having component. fun yeah, and having fun and making friendships, nerding out about what could be or what will be or what we want to be. And uh, we're still in those conversations and we've seen some things work. We've seen things fail. And then we also are willing to go to the drawing board and erase it and start all over again, where um, I think we would argue a lot of our community is still in this cycle of having the same conversation with the same approach and the same analysis and the same uh, and the same preparation. And I think we argue that our kids need better and need more and something different than that. And so in different ways, uh, people engage this organization as volunteers, as trustees, as uh, educators, donors. Um, But every year we work with about 3,000 high school kids through these experiences and engage about another 1,000 volunteers and work with about Eh, about 60, 70 colleges that we actively work with and have acting di- active dialogue and conversations with. I want to talk about, uh, it's pretty I fun. appreciate you bringing up the colleges. We'll bring that up. It's the 3,000 kids because we were one of those 3,000. And right now, I think our listeners are like, so what the hell is this? Is this like some kind of think tank? You guys have like a little club it, it and you get together. Yeah. Like, what is this? It's a coven. Uh, <laughs> it's uh yeah it's it's uh it's we a lot of in the woods and do like weird like weird only shit. when we're at the match uh, yeah, I, mean, we I mean since <laughs> I, I was i was what i was I, I, part of my in my in my other life i've started now uh becoming an instructor at a local at the local community college here and working within the early college uh, system and structure mm-hmm. that Maybe we'll talk about this or another time. Mm-hmm. So I'm working with high school kids out of the NHI. And, you know, these are public school kids. Pretty good. Pretty, uh, you know, they have goals. Uh, they want to go to college and whatnot. But the thing they have the most, the most difficult time with is thinking and having an opinion. Mm-hmm. And having an opinion about almost even anything. And it's taken an entire semester of almost gaining students, allowing to be comfortable with just asking questions and putting an opinion on on paper. I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a humanities instructor, so I deal in a world that you know doesn't really have a lot of right and wrong, facts, true, false. Um, yeah, it's really you know it's, it's substantiation it, of it exactly. Mm-hmm. And but it's also I mean, the study of, no lack of, of that amongst the NHRs. Exactly. But, you know, this is also the study of how humans express their thought and their emotions and their feelings and their evolution as as, you know, as this species on the planet. And these kids have a really tough time expressing their intellect. They can recite facts. They can memorize. Mm -hmm. They can do math. They can bust out a calculator. That's why they're the best in their school systems. Mm -hmm. That's what is rewarding. And the thing is, we're at a point in our century 
that requires an incredible amount of intellectual power Absolutely. from all communities. Like we have to rethink the world right now, regardless of what happens next November, you know, or what happens in Israel or what happens in Europe or what happens with Brexit, the amount of brain power that the world is going to have to generate to, to undo this madness that has been created. And, and what you, our what community you, are isn't you one saying of those right that like that NHI is like the magic key? Is it, I, we are, is it, is it we are, what is creating the thinkers that we need for tomorrow? Is that what you're postulating? I think it is one of the levels in the game that where you find the magic key. Postulate. <laughs> yeah, you, got, you, you got one. So yes. let, me, let me back up. Again, our listeners, we need to provide context. They don't know what NHI is. They think it's some happy go time program where we think. So we need to pre we need to provide context. So we all met well, actually we did not meet through a program. Joe and I met through a program. Julio, you participated in the program. We met because of a volunteerism model that impacted older people, including your mother. So ultimately pulled us in and we were around a cluster of people inside of our high schools who were encouraging excellence. And Julio, I think that's how you Well, it's culminating to a program. Well, yes, but on top of it, the journey, like it made like Julio, can you explain how you even found out about NHI? All the way from Maxwell, Texas to Pennsylvania. So you're in Lancaster, correct? Yeah, I mean it counts. It was I'm part of the less than one percent of students that are recruited through a mass mail op to a counselor. Get out of here! He's a he's a lucky. You're a mass mail op. Yes. Wow. To a random counselor in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. That's Not crazy. to say Lancaster is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's it's. Well, my, no, my guess is that based on just the little bit I could find when I got there as an intern is that they were profiling school districts or counties that at that point were at least 25% Latino. That's where they were. They, were they also styling and profiling? <laughs> well, what year is it? Yes. We're Jets. You always do both. <laughs> Memos, the size of the block. Woo! I hope that's what the counselor told you as a pitch for you to participate. There used to be an yeah. NHI limousine, in case you didn't know. Yeah, dude, yeah, there there dude, Maxwell, dude. Texas is the greatest place on earth. Oh my the God. border before Lockhart, there was a, <laughs> it's a Yanez limo company. Not to, yeah, I don't know if it's still functioning. Is it still functioning? I don't know if he's there. Did we lose Julio? No, no. He's just confused as to oh. what's going on. Okay, sorry. We're just saying <laughs> the limousine. So is Richie. Hey, so we'll go back to the acronym. Let's talk okay, about let's, what, what, we're, right. what we're alluding to, or I think we're jumping ahead a little bit. So what I want to do is put a little bit of context. The National Hispanic Institute, NHI, has a variety of summer programs for high school students after their ninth grade, 10th grade, and 11th grade year. There are programs that continue uh, for students in college, the CLN, which is the Collegiate Leadership Network. Exactly. And it's all a bunch of acronyms. Um, although ninth grade is now the great debate. Yes. Tenth grade is LDZ, Lorenzo de Zavala. Do you know who Lorenzo de Zavala was? I do. I taught Texas oh, history oh, for well, three great. years. Okay. Well, do you know how he was the first died? vice president yeah. of the Republic of Texas. He died and, heart. Is that what he died of? Yeah, he lost his wife and his son, Damn. Yeah, after all that success, essential, essential no, figure in See, history. I think that's really important for our listeners yeah. to know because William Barrett Travis, the quote hero of the Alamo, deserted his wife and daughters in Tennessee, leaving them with tens of thousands of dollars in debt, which would almost accrue to like hundreds of thousands now to come to Texas for his own fame and glory. Julio, do you know when or why the LDZ changed its name and after its first iteration into the LDZ? What made them bring up 
Los Angeles Avalas during that period of time? That's a good question. It wasn't always called the LDC. It was called the YLC, which you were talking about. The no shit. I just learned this very oh. recently. Yeah. I'm, 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 oh, I'm so well. I'm learning history. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, that, it's a little haze. I would say that there was a Young Leaders Conference, which is this original pilot high was, school conference. It was a bigger conference. And there was, okay. and there was a segment that was a short mini legislative session. And it also used some undergraduate students to a small degree. Right. Yeah. And okay. also, I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think it was actually too complicated other than like, I mean, look at Texas history. You just said it yourself. How many Latinos in the state get memorialized. Right. And, uh, and I mean, and me living here, yeah, the only two that I see consistently are going to be um, Juan Seguin, which Juan you Seguin. think you would, which hey, you think you would actually, office. which First you actually would think, you think you would see Juan Seguin all over the state and no. you, you don't. No. No, he's got um, a I think, little town. I, well, I think there's actually only two high schools in the state that are named Seguin High School, but you yeah. have a lot of Bowie's, a lot of Austin's, a lot of, of Travis's, Every, a lot yeah. of Rockets. Yeah, and, anyway, and the Lorenzo de Zavala, which there are a lot of, why do, I don't know why they're always elementary schools, but a lot of there's Zavala <laughs> yeah, elementary schools. Oh, yeah, we have a Zavala elementary school here in El Paso. Good point. And we have a Bowie and High then, School. Shouldn't have a high school. Jim Bowie. And I well, do think, think, grants. True, and I think the other more symbolic Symbols side of it. Of occupation. Indeed is uh, that I believe that the, the Ernesto, his, the park that his family, I believe, used oh, to. Uh, it was, a, it used was, to, it was called De Zavala Park. Oh, and oh, and oh, I think oh, the founder of the National Hispanic Institute yeah. is from Houston. The park that he frequented was De Zavala Park. It brings it all together. Thus, yes. the Lorenzo de Savala Youth Legislative the, Session, the, the, the 10th grade program. You, you could say that we are three of the people that probably know more about the history, but we still are uncovering so much because we came in a later time. We came 20 years after this when a lot of things have changed, a lot of issues for teenagers in America, and particularly in Texas at that time, were changing. Uh, but that early 1979 through 1983 right. period, these were very creative people close to our closer to our age now mm -hmm. that were really trying something very innovative and new and were really breaking the territory. But uh, much like, say, the early days of power at the past, it was completely idea-driven and a lot of service-heavy uh, projects that were targeting people that did not understand why the hell would you, first of all, invest in Latino kids, a lot of kids? I know. And who, why would you, you know, think they Joseph, go to college? Right? What? You, we went to college? Yeah. Shut the fuck you know, up. So, you said something crazy. Are you you and maybe both of you you know this, uh, Omar uh, Omar. You might know this. I mean, well, you probably know more in your field. Like um, Ernesto and I would. I don't know the chronology, but I'm sure there's like an education history you could do of mm -hmm. what would have a 1970s special education. I'm sorry, 1960s urban special education teacher be learning or how would they be prepared or how would they be what kind of classrooms are getting thrown into so in a weird way i think you were saying joey that like a lot of the early methodology oh. or pedagogy that ernesto was trained in is actually late 20th century special education education well, theory. okay that's an interesting statement and, and it took me a while to kind of figure this out you, mm -hmm. he, he uh so you mentioned the space in the park in magnolia uh his parents were uh, you know people very accustomed to working with young people of all kinds of different backgrounds including learning disabilities mm -hmm. and uh what they used was sports and games yeah. and they could build all kinds of, of uh, capabilities and confidence within kids that way 
And I think Ernie uh, really had magnificent parents and, and lived in a the, in the different era where he was participating in seeing a lot of the stuff. I'm, he was also a talented athlete. Uh, he was good in, in kind of like a variety of different coaching and training contexts himself personally. Yeah. But I believe he was also studying special education, correct, William, when he went to college? I think, and I think more so, I think it was his graduate work at U of H and HISD. He, he, I, I, I'm yeah. not sure he, he wanted he to was like a couple more. of credits away from finishing a master's, if I'm not mistaken. But in the but, end, a lot of yeah. a lot of that foundation and, and educational models, I would say that is infused inside of this thing that's geared towards college-bound kids. It was it's based off of uh, early techniques that were effective with special education populations. And before he started translating them into context for high school kids, mm-hmm. what Ernie and I were talking about recently was that his original business model was to provide leadership training for professionals, mm. professional Latinos who, in his era, you're talking the LBJ forward environment. Right. You could be a guy from El Paso like Richie, who is suddenly representing a large scale region uh, that is still very segregated, mm. uh, dealing with a lot of tensions, a lot of upheaval, and you suddenly have a, a level of potency politically and also in terms of your federal, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, responsibilities of, of uh, making sure you know certain policies are upheld that it was causing a lot of burnout because you know someone coming from El Paso County or Zavala County or Cameron County or whichever oh, people are getting burned out like these, these yeah. professionals you might like, have a great you know, experience at Texas Western College or UT or whatever it was at the period of time that you came up with but you weren't accustomed to being in a high-speed world where you were a very underrepresented person mm. this is the men in particular you right. focused on Gloria can tell you a little bit differently about what it was like to be a woman in this context too but what he saw personally in his own experience in his own realm, both with Latino professionals and many other groups, was just uh, a type of fatigue that could cause like an intellectual meltdown and a cultural crisis. Jeez. And so, well, I think, and I think the other about kind of addressing yeah. that and building competencies and strengths yeah. and having in the form of support, really. I think it's what you and I and Julio also still rely on when we get together. Yeah, because there's no other bubble. Correct. That could re-strengthen, uh, you know, not only your 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 um, constitution so to speak to address everything mm. but also to just contemplate what the hell you're going through as a 20th century man right exactly you know which is a very valid point also two 25 cent words for you Thank um you. julio you're going to say something and then i want to yeah i think that it's it's what i gather when i listen when i listen to your your podcast that i hear your conversations or as joseph said ours or that you have with other you know similar minded folks is that even if you look at ernie and gloria like she comes with a, you know, social work training, but mm-hmm. also did organizing. They both mm-hmm. worked in government, but in different kind of aspects of it. They were both in, in, in civil rights, but at different points and different uh, yeah. approaches to it. And in the end, that, that just made a great team that I think together, those experiences together really provided a really comprehensive approach to all types of Latinos that you were going to potentially meet along the way. So I think that these teams of bringing in and complementing all these different assets and talents, I think these like mixed, mixed approaches um, right. is really kind of how we are as a community. And um, I think that those are some of the things in education I get concerned. It's, we don't, they, we don't give ourselves enough credit for the complexity of it all. It is so complex. I mean, I think there's a term related now that's, that's more in vogue, which is like that intersectionality discussion that's happening. This is what they were dealing with in a very raw manner without the nomenclature to be working with poor rural communities, uh, to be working with all kinds of other sectors than just like, you know, populations at the time, although it still was Texas, it was still small, Yeah. you know, in, in terms of representation nationally and even in 
the highest concentrations within 200 miles of the U.S.-Mexico border. Like it just was not a very massive population. It had its really high concentration areas, but beyond that, they were working in other communities. So yeah. they had context. <clears throat> but the way power was was being uh, wielded ultimately did not merge well with making your voice heard about how this one sector represents an opportunity that we should invest in and grow. Mm-hmm. It's still almost alien language to, to bring up to people that, hey, in El Paso, our greatest resource is not some type of a rare mineral oil or petroleum refining capability or, or something like whatever it was. Um, copper, I believe. Copper was being smelted, among other things. We could the miners. But our reservoir of talent, our reservoir of talent is the thing that we cultivate and extract and we export it everywhere else. Yeah. And so like, there's this core cultural ability or, or intellectual ability, I should say, that's within this cultural community that I think they, they saw early on could be so much. Magnolia could be so much, could be right. something to learn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a mindset shift, uh, shift really occurs in the 70s that they institutionalized. They experimented a lot in the early days. But by the time we came up, and I think this is uh, where it's a little more uh, relevant to uh, what we're seeing today, is that in the early days, these programs were trying to help people who were first-generation college goers adapt to and thrive within a college setting that's far removed from home. Mm-hmm. And so that exposure to college campuses that's tied to a lot of NH- all NHL programs, was, uh, almost all of them. Mm-hmm is there to familiarize you with a world that is different than what you might be accustomed to with different expectations and different standards and so forth. But excellence was going to help you uh, be very effective in time, collaboration, and, and confidence in competition and so forth. Yeah, it's giving a, it's a, it's it's a skill set edge, but you to a group not, of people that may not have had that skill set. Your high school is not going to be like, hey, you know what's going to happen to you down the road? We need, to get, we need to work on this. This was what a responsible nonprofit should do, build the scaffolding. Right, the community. and I think it was it was a reactive approach rather than like what's the current proactive approach. I think if you're working with students at that period of time, it's it's a, it's a necessity mm-hmm. that is, a, is amongst the majority. Maybe not that second generation, third generation kid who was still there back then mm-hmm. but by the time you and i came up we were a different representation i think julio as well we we're we we're a clinton era multicultural college bound with access and funding to go to great schools and there's this massive like uh, uh you could say like nhs magnify not only the reservoir of talent mm-hmm. but then it supercharges it to yeah. be highly represented at schools like so Stanford. let me, let me bring know. that let me bring that into context for our listeners so here's what's going on the Latino community was essentially being looked at disparagingly in the United States. They have looked at it all. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And I mean, like, arguably, like, still to this day, kind of like, oh, like, but you're like a gardener. You know, Maybe you have a little bit more new perspective. It was things, a population of 4 million. As opposed to now. Compared to now. Like, now, this makes total sense. Exactly. El Paso was a majority white city during this period of time. But even then, I think what happened was that Ernesto Nieto, who's the president and founder of NHI, said, this is like bullshit. Latinos are brilliant and creative and have inordinate potential, and no one's really doing anything to bring out the potential of them. So he started, I guess, with these professional programs. What it is now morphed to are these high school programs. For example, the ninth graders will go off to a college, as Joey mentioned, away from their town. In this case, let's say Austin College, which is one of our partner colleges. In order for them to to be able to do this, uh, a community effort would need to be mobilized with volunteers uh, and a recruitment campaign, participating schools, and so forth, and they would be prepared. No, no, you're perfect. Exactly. So what happens is that they go off to this thing called the Great Debate, and you walk into this palace of Latinos that are all bad. <laughs> you've never been around before. Yeah, ever. And you're yeah, like... That, that was 400. Oh, right? like, shit. Like, I'm not the only one? Because yeah. we all thought we were the only, like, smart Latino 
or like the only Latino in several occasions in our like AP classes or was it twenty five percent of your high school? I, I remember just being like. No Please. way there are one, no way are there this many smart Latinos. In the world. <laughs> and two, wow, living on a border with Latin America, how awesome would that be? Yeah. Man, I, I wish I could live there. As opposed to being like the one Latino in like a 500 mile radius. Yes. You're you dwarfed by the Mennonite community. <laughs> I saw those guys when I was out there. Yeah. I saw the Quaker Roads guy. He was driving something, um, and it wasn't a car. So what happens is they all go to this program and they compete against each other regionally. In, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll explain that in a second. They compete against each other in things like cross-ex and mock trial, oratory, and extent. And the way, like Joey's right, it's all organized as local teams that are fueled by volunteers and oftentimes high school students who participate in the program. Joey and I are a perfect example. So when I was a participant in mock trial, Joey was our senior counselor. So he was training us on, here's what you have to look forward to, and here's how to get your shit together so that you don't get smeared against teams like Austin and Houston. Wait, and Texas, he, who are he taught this? <laughs> yeah, stop. stop. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I taught this. I would say I was uh, not with, well, this, this is like ancient history, but um, what was so important, I think what your mother was really doing was making sure that people who, who had grown a lot from this experience mm-hmm. of competition up to date had the ability to uh, improve uh, themselves further, and not just in terms of speaking, but in terms of working as an organized team, uh, and to, to really be competitive for volunteer opportunities. Yeah. And in, in that, you served in a variety of different functions. Uh, Montreal was not exactly the domain I was involved in, it was more of the individual uh, stuff. Right. But um, but yeah, I know I know you were shocked to hear I would have been involved in Omar's Omar's trial training. No, I did not. I was not sure he got on the bus. He was. Yeah. He was. I learned, I learned so much from Jesse. I, I have no regrets. You, you <laughs> said you said make fun. <laughs> so this this is what was going on, and then like you know you you finish this program, you're like, what's next? Then you go yeah. to the LDD, the Learns of the Savala Youth Legislative Session for, for twice as long. Yeah, it is a week long program, and like, dude, you're not told what is happening or what the rules are. You're not told shit. You're literally just thrown into it's like a, a bad room. film noir. You yeah, know, you wake yeah. up, you know, you've been hit in the head. You don't know exactly what's going on. You know, you're following strands. Yeah, into anything, and, and it's just terrifying. So the ninth grade program yeah. has like structure. You know what's yeah. going to happen. You're prepared. You've got your arguments. I'm going to be in mock trial. I'm going to be in CX. I got a team of people that support me. I got this person's mom and these other moms looking out for me in case I get hurt. LDC is so fucking Attica, dude. It is just straight (laughs) up Lord of the Flies. It is like you're thrown into this room, you and 300 billion Latinos. You have a tyrannical secretary of state that is in charge and in power and telling you what to do. And you you literally have to figure figure it it out. out and figure out through parliamentary procedure through developing coalitions, yeah. through developing then coalitions into political parties and parliamentary rules, mm-hmm. how to oust the Secretary of State, have elections, put yourself in power, and then pass legislation. That's and be affected to- within hundreds of kids. Right. It's easily as talented as you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Way more. In the, in the 1990s version of the game. In the 1990s version. You're such a, you're so, well, yes. 
Well, that's cold, man. That is some cold. That is so harsh. <laughs> Has it evolved? Yeah. Dude, Are we, we, he's basically saying we're very antiquated in our memory. Oh, oh yeah. There, there, there's, wow. public, there's the publication of legal opinions. There's yeah. The Supreme oh, Court is integrated yeah. fully. Oh, there's a bunch of twists and turns that didn't exist before. It's working, buddy. It's hot. It's so hot right now. Hot stuff. So what, what we're trying to get at here is that... This, it's a different skill. Yeah, this organization basically... Going back to what Joey was saying about Ernesto Nieto in that park was saying the education that's going on in our schools is not the kind of education that is working for us. And is never going to bring up these topics. And he brings up what Julio said. These kids to this day can't come up with fucking opinions and with thoughts of their own. And it's not their fault. This is a byproduct of the system. So Ernie said, we have to get completely out of the system and develop something brand new outside of the system that kids are going to participate in that is not some lecture, that is not some PowerPoint. It's a game. And like LDZ was fucking amazing, but it was it was a game, but it was nuts. Mm -hmm. You had to literally creatively problem solve and figure everything out because no one was telling you what to do. Can I have one thing? Yeah, man. Ernie mentioned to me, like, we all get pulled into these rides with Ernie in the truck sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ernesto Nieto and his famous pickup truck rides. Yeah. Where he looks at me, he's like, listen to you, you son of a bitch. You ain't shit. You're never going to be shit. And then he, you know, stops the car and throws me on. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. man, get the Sounds like a ride of passenger. <laughs> yeah, dude. Pretty, pretty regular stuff. <laughs> but, you know, something was like, you know, whether you're a participant or a volunteer, like how you comport yourself in that eight-day period, that eight day period yeah. is pretty much a great preview of how you're going to function when you get to college, when mm. you get to grad school. And um, and I, it always stuck out to me because, like, yeah, that is it's a simulated reality. It's completely constructed. It's a competitive game. You uh, you, you have a lot of uh, breakthroughs intellectually. Regardless of the format, you're going to build uh, bonds that are going to be, you know, really well established. And you're going to be in a different part of the country, and you're going to have higher expectations. Yep. But when that all is over, and you have those skills, and you have those relationships, you also are now at a point in your life where you're 16 or 17, and you got to figure out the hell you're going to do mm. when this game of high school is over. Mm. And uh, and then this is where Roñeto, uh, you know, comes into into uh, into a moment of his own in the mid '90s, which we got to get Yeah, yeah. So you want to explain that one? I will explain the CWS in just a second. Um, I want to circle back to Julio in in just a bit. So the CWS, the Collegiate World Series, is the 11th grade program, and it's a game. It teaches students about the college entrance process, and then the second part of it is called IBL, Inquiry-Based Learning, and it's a competitive tournament of students literally learning how to think and how to react to things in a definitive structure, step one, step two, step three, kind of like the scientific formula. It's a bit like that in terms of, okay, so I now have to ask the questions and I got to do a little bit of research and then I have to like debase the hypothesis. It's somewhat similar to that process, but what it does is give students structure so that when they're faced with a highly complicated scenario in their real life, we call it IBLing. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to IBL this situation. Julio, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean that's that that is it. Um, I think that how did this thinking thing happen is really just by giving them these huge challenges that they may get in graduate school or may face in their mid thirties, but we give it to them now. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, I bring up Roy Nieto because I, they were very effective programs. The first two of them for the uh, the the kids that were 
targeting exposed to college fairs and so forth. And the bonds with, with college members that were hosting programs had also grown. Um, but Roy was really innovative in making sure that, you know, how you think about what is ahead. And, and it had a lot of experimental faces. And I think we got to be part of it when we worked actually at the Institute mm-hmm. together for some different variations. Of yeah. This. But ultimately that, that thought, I mean, in most communities, uh, it, and you, this, this statistic kind of changes a little bit over each generation at NHI, but there is a portion of these students who have no rep- like no one in their family has been through this. Correct. And I so, mean, a lot of these kids, like, they're the first one to go through college. Well, but also, I think whether you, you know, you're fortunate to have a parent that has a degree or not, like, when you're 16 or 17 and you're trying to even formulate essays about who the hell you are, <laughs> who the hell are you? When have you ever talked about it? And, what, and do you have friends that are even helping? Who are you, Joey? Mm-hmm. You know what? That's who are you, Richie? Richie, Richie, who are you? What, what's up, Richie? What's up? Why didn't you do NHI programs at East? Uh, we did have them, I think. Yeah, but why didn't you do them? I, I don't even know. I was thinking about yeah. that when you guys were talking about this. Like, it would have been really cool to, to have done that. I was already involved with a lot. I think that was, that was okay. one thing. Yeah, I was in sports and, and uh, creative writing program. Uh, and uh, too busy. And, too busy. And just, mm. I remember... My girlfriend was in. Is this is this yeah. the first time you've heard about NHI? Huh? Is this the first time you've heard about NHI? No, he had a girlfriend or? who was in NHI. Yeah. yeah. Oh no shit. Okay. Because Eastwood was well represented. It was too. super well represented. Yeah. She was smart. So I'm like, man. Uh, <laughs> I remember hearing about all the trips and everything. That that's really cool. The trips are really a, a clear memory to me as well. Yeah. They were like little lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, but so you know, the other thing about NHI that I think you know, it's, it's important to say is, is that it's also geared at volunteers mm-hmm. and uh, that to some degree, if you're a volunteer for many years in NHI, you get to grow in so many additional ways than, than are just expected of participants at programs in terms of pulling it off because all these programs are, are participants. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because this is where I want to chime in with Julio and then we're going to start wrapping up and then we'll do, yeah. We're, dude, we're almost at an hour already. Jeez, we're going to be uh, part two and maybe even part three of this. Here's th- this program and this organization was minute. Started 1979 at a time, like Joseph said, where dude, we were like 4 million people. Julio, what is the expanse of the program now? How many alumni, how many programs, how many countries? Since 1979, with one tiny ass little project at like Concordia College, from what I remember, first one at LBGA School of Public Affairs. Oh wow, yeah. UT. Yeah. So where yeah, Concordia across the street was the most. That's right. Good yeah. call. Where is it now, Julio? You're about 17 programs, seven countries, 30 U.S. states. Damn. How many alumni? I'll let the demographer answer that. It, the it, the number can be a little unclear. We're trying to make sure that this is closer uh, to accurate, but I would say between fifty five and sixty thousand. Yeah, at, at best period of time, they started off with about two hundred kids, just to put into perspective. Exactly, uh, and those were people that did the like the full programs. I mean, it gets larger if you count. I mean, there were a lot of weekend programs, pilots, right. grant based programs, middle school. There's, I mean, if you throw all that in, there's there's thousands more kids that had an experience. But we're talking pretty much fifty-five to sixty thousand alumni with a predictable. A yeah, well, but that alumni is, is impressive. You yeah, know? Um, but the future alumni to me are going to be rock stars, the ones from you know ten years ago, mm-hmm. right now, who were, were born like a, you know closer to the nineties. Yeah. Um, it, the the organization is yeah it's serving about thirty four hundred if I if I thirty four hundred thirty eight if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. 
And we saw a gathering of 343 kids yeah. with uh, five or six undergraduate students as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at that population and it's about 60%, 55, 58% uh, female majority at programs. I would say just about right. Uh, maybe at certain programs it's a much higher, but there's a, a slight female majority. Uh, when you look at this group as well, uh, their identities are, are really complex, you yeah. know, how they identify. Uh, but what's really unifying about them is that uh, they look at the future in terms of their education pretty much in the same consistent way that we did, and that they were college-bound, college-focused, graduate school-oriented, mm -hmm. uh, and they're proclaiming this at 15 or 16. So they're looking at the amassment of educational credentials and success. They know that that's going to happen, but what's emerging in them is how they look at uh, leadership, mm -hmm. how they look at the future. And if we don't pay attention to how they understand these concepts, we don't we don't really get to I'm really it. glad you brought that up yeah. because one of the things that I want to segue into for the next show is we talked a lot about the history of this organization, um, kind of where I come from, what were the reasons why. And what I want to segue the next show into is really about where is it going? Because I think the the leadership model, I'm glad, has evolved and changed because it Dude, I mean, it used to be like for us in the 90s, there was some element of like collaborating, get together. But it was really all about like, fuck that, beat the shit out of these people, be the best. It was kind of hardcore 80s there, Wall Street. It was the 20th century NHI that's yeah. different than the 20th century. Exactly. But exactly. I think I think it's also like any organization, but the evolution of it. Well, I would say that everything changed in 2001 mm. at Loma Linda 2. What the fuck's low? Oh, Loma Linda, the, yeah, the, the, which is the... NHI had a like a Woodstock. Yes. Uh, too, so, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, who, who was there? Who were the bands that were there? Ozo Motley. Ozo Motley. Ozo Motley yeah. played. Oh, when they built the stage. Oh. The first Loma Linda was not successful because of weather. And hey, so... Those Thunderbirds? Are you stopping them? No, those fabulous Thunderbirds. Are the well, no, I think Little Joe played. Did Little Joe play, too? Little Joe definitely was Yes. I remember that shit. Pretty much, yeah. He's, he's a... He's, I think the stage is sort of for and shit. But there was also some emerging actors, right, Mulu? Is it, yeah, yeah. George? I think it was uh, Nick Gonzalez in yeah, the Showtime Gonzalez. era and uh, Eva Longoria. So, like, in 2001 was the first time I ever saw NHI Maxwell headquarters. And I think a lot of us had been away from the Institute or the organization for, for a number of years just mm -hmm. because, you know, you go to school, you go far away. But, yeah. We were um, in college, some of us. But... Hulu, you were there, right? You were there too. In two thousand one. In two thousand one, it was my it was my twenty first birthday weekend. Yes, it was my twenty first oh, birthday. It was a great gathering, but it was one of these kind of moments where you know it was like like having an NHI program for adults, but we got to all listen to music and wander around this massive property. And it's fucking awesome. dope. I don't know. Yeah, why it was so exist. cool. It was it, and like I thought that was like a normal thing they did. All, no, that was the only one that was ever. <laughs> they had spotlights you know like they're doing this thing on the board yeah, yeah, yeah. Right that's they had that going like on the, in the, the middle big, of like the rural lights for those of you who aren't familiar with maxwell is this is like across the freeway from lock uh, from uh, san marcos and a little bit south of uh, lockhart right and which so is south of austin texas this is in the middle of nowhere yeah, yeah i mean there's a lot of little granja it was and, and this facility i had never been to before it was originally a plantation correct me there this, uh, this Get the area. fuck out of here! That that was a I think it's. I don't think it was. I think it was. I don't think it was a plantation. I think it's. I think it was reconstruction. It was reconstruction. I love this piece of plantation. It was. It was. It 
They owned the entire region. Hey, they were farming the land. They were, they were, they were uh, that whole area from Fredericksburg and all. That was all like a German enclave, right? Yeah. And so this was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the yeah. Shavi family. Correct, Miguel? Yes, it was a uh, German-owned tycoons brought money. I think in one point there were like several banks There's in that a, little downtown. You know, but yeah, the depression is speculating and lost everything. And, they, they, and so, like the piece that was there, eventually NHI, which had started off as a small uh, nonprofit in the in the heart of downtown Austin, flips yeah. out a little bit. It eventually purchases this this older property south of Austin. I mean, no one was really aware of it, you know, yeah. and. and Ernie and Glory had the right kind of eyes. Yeah. And they saw this is this is the place. And then years later, 2001, uh, we're there rocking out to also Motley. They played a conch. They actually grabbed a yeah. shell and played a song. Like with Aquaman? The, Dude, I, 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 yeah, it, pretty much. And the little It was a great show. Uh, Dominic describes it as like throwing money off the top of a building and running downstairs <laughs> trying to catch it with like a suitcase. <laughs> you know, like it, it was not a successful event. Uh, financially, but and it was profound <laughs> impact. The, you know, we should put one of those posters up in here. It was a beautiful show. Oh, it's it's a beautiful great like, everything about it. But like right after that, Julio starts working because that's the summer you finish. College. I mean, so you're saying that this was where I think NHI made a, a huge turn. That show a was shift. one month after 9 11. Oh, and so everything had changed in Austin. The economy had changed. Austin I mean, everything was small. The world Every, changed. Everywhere everything was the United States changed. Security was completely different. But like NHI, to me, I, at this period of time, I've been in Austin for a little over a year in grad school, and it was like terra firma. At that point, uh, I'd never known that what what rural life in Texas was really like. And uh, you know, you you see this thing, you have this moment, you meet a lot of, reconnect a lot of people, and uh, that's where you and I work together. You mm-hmm. know, that's where Julio was coming from work right now. Yeah. And uh, instead of like, you know, working the land, uh, the institute now has a systematic, you know, approach to the rest of the country. And the perfect segue. So what I want to do is get us to start wrapping up and give final thoughts about this. Next time around, listeners, we're going to start chiming in on what was this transition? Where is NHI going for the 21st century Latino? What the hell is a 21st century Latino? What the hell is a Latino? Is there like, you know, Fucking questions that we have yet to really address, but it's all embedded within this brilliant educational program that started in 1979 that has brought people like Joey, Julio, and I together for now 25 years. Uh, some of us in, in a similar suit with friends like Benny Jimenez and Alvaro yeah. across the country that we're oh, yeah. still very good friends with. Um, and what we want to discuss is less about us and more about where, yeah, where is the program going with kids now? Well, and you know, Omar, one last thing I would think I would say. I think final thought that probably sets up your next conversation is I think that what we maybe well, failed to articulate. That conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I think what we failed, what I failed to articulate is I think that aside from the great programs, skills, Developing the mind, developing the intellect, which we all know could be used for evil, is that the ethos of the organization is rooted in harnessing, harvesting, cultivating, mining, investing resources, equity 
within the community. And to shift from this perspective or analytical structure or perspective that views and presumes Latinos to be deficient in any way, even if it's just to dispel your mind for a week at a program that to believe and just for even a week that everything about the community has value and equity. And, you know, even if we watch the the punditry, the news, that is not the rhetoric and the narrative that you hear by any party, any voice, and in education, it's it's always from that one perspective. Right. And I think that our programs introduce kids, even for a week, to a completely different prism to look at the world through. Yeah, I mean, it is mind-changing. Absolutely. Well said. Joey, final thoughts? I would never have the the network of, of young, bright intellectuals that I did growing up if it hadn't been for your mother's efforts to bring together 40 or 80 kids from around the city. El Paso is very tribal, as you yeah. know, it's regionally divided. And uh, I could have been locked up in my own little world yeah. and stayed attached to my cable TV and my yeah. values that are tied from it, you know, and, and are tied to it. And um, it would have had a very predictable path if it had not been for an idea that took root many years prior that impacted my sister, it was encouraged by my parents, that was supported by your mother. Mm. And I never would have found uh, the bonds I have with you guys had we not had uh, a portion of our 20s, really a significant part of our lives, actually, um, you know, that, that brought us together to do uh, you know, a variety of different initiatives for the next generation. And now all those kids that we worked with 15 years ago are 30. And I bump into them at grocery yeah. stores and parking lots. And uh, at special events in San Antonio. And um, so there's a lot I want to talk about the future of my uh, I've been trying to learn as much as I can about the past of NHI, but to me, um, you know, we're living it and we have responsibility for those that are coming next. Exactly. Richie, any final thoughts on this subject, brother? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to this discussion on future. What is Latino, Latina? Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, on this talk of education, I remember this this art piece I saw at Mar- Mercado Maipan yeah, back in the can, day. We can show it on the video. Yeah, it says, don't be a get an education. Free think, you know, and and actualize ourselves as thinkers. Yeah. So I look yeah. forward to those future discussions. Yeah, and those critiques of education. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we also yeah. in our own So well said, everybody. To, to tie a couple of things together. Um, so we have a very special bond here at Paso. My mom started working as a volunteer for the National Hispanic Institute here regionally in El Paso for the ninth grade program and really kind of kept everything organized for a decade, 1990 to 2000. For about 10 years. So what she did was pretty profound. She went into every single high school in Paso, gave a presentation. It was pretty hardcore and said, like, we're looking for the best of the best. Like, you want a piece of this or not? And what she wound up doing, which was brilliant, was a microcosm for what NHI is doing, which is she brought together kids from West Side El Paso and East Side El Paso that never would have met had it been for this program. Mm-hmm. I would not know a Joseph Vieskas. I would know yeah. um, a, I don't know, Erica Salta, who I'm still very good friends with. Shout out to Erica, who just <laughs> contributed to yeah. the Paso Leadership oh, Academy. Awesome. Still friends with her. Oh, um, she's doing kick-ass stuff, dude. She's brilliant. Uh, Amani Jimente. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> take that. And she built this this really beautiful, I would arguably say like empire for like 10 years of people from a Latino background meeting other brilliant Latinos that formed 
a circle of support for one another within El Paso that is a perfect microcosm for what NHI has done nationally. There's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for Julio Cotto, who I met through NHI and no other reason that I would have met him for because the man's from Lancaster, fucking Pennsylvania, hanging out with the Amish. Tornadoes, and, baby, tornadoes. And, and cocaine, it turns out. The uh, the Amish selling cocaine. <laughs> or, or which group? Is that the Quakers? No, it's not the Quakers. It's some group. Hey, uh, there's some state reps in our state over here now on the border selling cocaine, apparently, too. Hey, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, I also breaking heard news, breaking some, news, breaking news. Uncovered uh, cocaine in like Brazil or something. <laughs> Anyways, I, I never would have met Julio if it hadn't been for this. So the organization is bringing together brilliant folks, keeping them together, yeah. keeping these bonds. It's not just about the programs that we participated in that changed our lives, changed our paradigms, made us into the creative problem solvers, into the critical thinkers, mm-hmm. and kind of like the tough badasses that all NHI folks really are. Um, and I just saw these kids participate in damn. Like the kids coming up today are brilliant and eloquent and thoughtful. And Julio, like as you saw, because you were master's ceremonies, fucking super duper opinionated mm-hmm. and substantiating their opinion. It's going to be incredible what they do. So in, in wrap up, I just want to say we did a wonderful job of celebrating what NHI is. Julio, I hope you'll come back for the next one to say what NHI will be and the future of Latinos. Richie, I hope you'll come back. Joseph, you in? You got it. Right on. So what I want to do really quickly is first just shout out to Carnales. Julio, thank you so much for joining us, man. Any final words? Uh, I'm in El Paso for 36 hours next week. Maybe we can grab a coffee. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I forgot your company. Is it next week? Wow. Love to see you, man. Joseph, any final words? I still love you guys. Love you too, bro. Happy to do this week. Richie, huge shout out to you, our sound engineer. Thank you so much. Any final words, brother? No, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for coming on. Peace. Love you, man. So the show depends on our listeners. Thank you so much. We want to hear from you. Dude, we started hearing from you guys um, a lot more on Twitter and through email. So please keep it up. You can find us at EPW Podcast uh, on Twitter, the underscore EPW Podcast on the gram, EPW Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever it may be. So from all of us, Carnales and El Paso on I-35 driving to Austin, thank you so much for listening in. We really feel buenas noches. Muchísimas gracias y buena suerte. Peace. Bye.